your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox. Alongside us, the White Sox are back. They're on trajectory to win the division. We're going to celebrate on August 26th, by the way. You should join us. Guaranteed rate field, purchase tickets. We have all-you-can-eat patio section available, and then we're going to sit in the right field bleachers. We're going to hang out. We're going to watch the division-winning White Sox. Also, I believe that is... Dylan Cease's bobblehead night. Do you know that, James? I did not know that. But that's How about interesting. That? Yeah, that's good. I won't have to like buy it from somebody. I'll have my own. Little incentive for you. Go to futuresocks.com. Follow us on Twitter at futuresocks and look for the information there. We want to see you. We want to hang out and have a nice little get together in, in the patio section. Hang out in right field bleachers. Watch the White Sox kick the crap out of the A's. So keep that in mind. That's Saturday, August 26th. They might be like five games up in first by then. That's what I'm saying. The division-winning yeah. White Sox. That's yeah. our motto for the rest of the season, I guess. I don't know. Whatever happened, the White Sox are back. We're believing again. Right, James? Are you excited about this White Sox team suddenly, all of a sudden? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm watching the games. So, you know, I guess that's good, right? No. So, I don't know. Like, excited? Yeah. Buying We're buying Yeah. <laughs> well, so I think I think they're, they're in, right? But that's more of just because of their circumstances. I think this division's terrible and I, I'm not a big believer in the two teams that they're competing with, obviously. So yeah, like obviously if they were in a different division, they'd be done and buried and we'd be, you know, putting together prospect packages for trades, which look, I was doing anyway. Right. Cause I just like, didn't think that the twins would fall on their face this much, but yeah, I mean, the white Sox are firmly back in and they have to get to 500, but I think once they're able to do that, um, if they can, um, yeah, it's kind of tough for me to not pick them over the other two teams, just looking at the math basically going forward. Yeah, it's quite the incredible turnaround. And uh, I know we're only midway through June here, but when you're kind of planting the stake early in May, and now all of a sudden we're talking about this division is winnable after being 7-21, I mean, I love it. So that's baseball. Look, playing the math, I get it. Looking at it, it's it's overwhelming. But this is so random. It's just such a bizarre thing to see the NL Central be awful, as well as the AL Central. The Cubs are bad. I, I don't know if they're necessarily out of it. Now the White Sox, totally different story, because I feel like this roster is much better than what we're looking at with the Twins have. The Twins currently deal with a lot of injury issues. I, I thought I saw, I don't know, maybe you can correct me, James, but was it two out of the five or three out of the five starters of the Twins right now are on the IL, and a lot of their boppers are still missing time. And like you talked about with with Cleveland, that team is just – if they're trying to win around the margins, if they want to play above replacement level baseball, they suck, man. <laughs> Cleveland well, they just sucks. Can't, well, they just – they can't hit, and they haven't, like – I guess had the the stellar pitching development that they've had. Like their pitching's good, right? But it's not elite enough to make up for just having no offense. Right. And I think like even like the way that they played last year was unsustainable and, and it worked somehow, right? But like eventually like you have to walk and hit the ball out of the ballpark. 
and they just they don't hit for enough power, you know. And so, yeah, that's one of the issues. I mean, the Twins, like you you alluded to, like they're they're injured more than the White Sox are. Like I know we're like in our White Sox bubble where we talk about you know, and Aloy Jimenez is hurt again, and Robert's been hurt, and Moncada's been hurt, and all these guys are constantly hurt. I mean, I think they currently have what Gallo, Polanco, Buxton, Gilberto, Celestino, Gordon, like on the DL. And then Maley, I think, is out for the year, right? With he's mm-hmm. having Tommy John, Maeda's been hurt, Paddock's been hurt. They have bullpen guys out. So, yeah, I mean, that's like two or three of their best hitters and like a huge portion of their rotation out. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably what it's going to take for the White Sox to get back into this. But, yeah, I mean, the Twins are 500 leading the division. The Sox are six, seven under, right? And they're, the Sox are closer to leading the American League Central than they are to 500. That is insane. Now, are the White Sox dodging a bullet in 2023, considering where the farm system is currently, with the strength being in single A, and the 2022 draft class coming on very strong, but clearly in need of a little bit of development. Birmingham is kind of stuck in the mud right now. There's a handful of players who I think are a little overwhelmed by the level. The money is being made in advanced A in Winston-Salem. And those who are taking on the first full professional season in Kannapolis, they're, they're stepping up and it's impressive. And we were thinking about the top 30 list in the midseason that will release around August, maybe late August, early September. And there's going to be a lot of changes because, James, we're looking forward to this draft class. And as we were looking through the preseason top 30, we're learning more and more about the status of these prospects. And it's beautiful because they're playing. Now, it sucks to see that Brian Ramos got a late start and Colson Montgomery hasn't started yet. But as we look at the top 30, we're going to see a lot of new names those who are already in the organization who we wanted to wait and see on as well as the added draft class. Because when we were going back and forth yesterday talking about this, Noah Schultz has to be the second best prospect in the system right now, knowing that Brian Ramos is there and uh, recognizing Oscar Colas, obviously, but James it's Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz right now. That being said, anticipating the midseason top 30 list, Are there some names that you're looking forward to seeing break the list as well as the impact that the upcoming draft class may have on the top 30 of the White Sox? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like the draft class, I mean, you're definitely adding like the top few guys to like the top 30 list, I would say. And we, we clearly like don't know who those people are. I mean, there's some interesting guys. Like we're going to talk a little bit here about the, the rookie ball leagues that have started. There's, you know, Abraham Nunez Jr. is a guy I'm going to talk about a little bit later, I think, in the DSL. And it's, look, it's really hard to gauge your DSL stats. And like some of these guys that are too good for that level ultimately are just too good for that level. And then they go to A ball and they struggle and then it ends up being nothing, right? Like we've seen the Benjamin Baileys of the world like not work out. So it's often tough. But I mean, yeah, like even like looking at last year's draft class, Shane Murphy has been super interesting in low A. Um, you know, a guy that we talk about quite often, Jacob Burke, just like guys along those lines, Eric Adler, like if you're going to put a reliever on the list, I mean, he's kind of figured out some things. I mean, Eric Adler went in the sixth round and, you know, he walked over like close to seven guys per nine in college, but his stuff is just disgusting. So, you know, like if they've hammered out some of the issues with control and command, I mean, he could be 
really quick to the majors in a relief role, kind of similar to like a Cody Hoyer type guy with like really, really good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's some options. The one thing too, like you kind of alluded to in low a, like I, I kind of feel like a lot of those players should be in high a. So I think the draft will be helpful. Like if they add a lot of more college guys again, like if those guys go right to Kannapolis, the people that are in Kannapolis now can go to Winston where they actually belong. And then you kind of filter some guys up. So I, I think that part will be interesting. I mean, you know, as exciting as Tim Elko is hitting like all these homers in low A as like a 24 year old or whatever he is, like I'd much prefer to see how he plays at Winston or Birmingham to kind of see if, you know, you, you have something here with some of these guys. It's just tough and, you know, that that environment in low A as like an advanced college player, like you should be playing pretty well. Check out the Future Sox Roundup, by the way. If you're subscribed to the podcast, which I don't know why you aren't. If you're not, you should. Just click that button. It really helps us out. Also, leave a comment if you can. Email us, futuresocks at gmail.com. We'll answer your questions, and we'll talk about whatever you want to hear us talk about. So keep that in mind. On the Future Sox Roundup with Elijah Evans, we talked about and highlighted Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, among them Bryce Willett's 2022 draft class and 18th round pick, Carolina League Player of the Month, along with Connor McCullough, who threw no hitter earlier in the month and you know, of May. So we're talking about Kannapolis and guys, again, getting their first opportunity and doing very well. And to James' point, you think about the significance of the ACL and DSL starting now because we have rosters out. And with the added draft class upcoming, there's going to be adjustments. And there are players like Terrell Tatum who are very close to a to a promotion, Tatum in advance day currently set to go to Birmingham, I assume, very soon because he is clearly outperforming that level of competition, which is an example of an exciting player. But the way that the affiliates will change with the inclusion of the upcoming draft class is going to be interesting to follow. And what we want to do today is kind of describe some of the names in the ACL that you may see make debuts in Kannapolis this year. And James Fox on futuresocks.com wrote a preview of the ACL roster as well as the Dominican Summer League roster. So check those out for more information. But let's begin with the ACL roster. As you know, I did notice that, you know, there there are some names here. Yeah, some are on uh, rehab assignments. It's good that, you know, we get to see names to paper like Yossi Marcuzin. But uh, Noah Rivera is doing a rehab assignment in the ACL currently. Luke Schilling in the ACL doing uh, rehab assignments like it's just kind of a carry over the extended spring but James when we're watching actual competition it's it's good to see a lot of the guys that we're looking forward to specifically uh, an example is Ryan Burroughs to get some action right live game simulated action so if you wouldn't mind let us know about some of the names that you're intrigued by as well as uh, names that we really should be paying attention to yeah, so I mean, like last year in the in the ACL, it was it was kind of rough, right? Because you sent guys like Victor Quezada, um, and then I think like the catcher that's returned, Manuel Gariman, like, and it was just like a lot of struggles, right? So this time there are some actual prospects, even though it is a super young team made up of international type guys. So Ryan Burrows is 18 years old; he's probably the best prospect on that team. You know, there's already been there's been some highlights from, you know, just like Arizona scouts like sitting out there and guys that kind of do what we do, like tweeting out videos of of Ryan Burroughs as like a sleeper. And like we've kind of talked about him 
a lot in 47 games last year in the DSL. He hit 266, 393, 392 as a 120 WRC plus. You know, I think MLB Pipeline has him like ranked 11th or 12th in the system. So, you know, that's a real prospect. A guy that was signed out of Panama for $75,000. I think he, you know, he is clearly like the, I guess the most exciting or the highest ranked guy um, out in Arizona right now. He's, you know, he's, he's, He's only had 13 at bats so far, 700 OPS. So nothing, uh, nothing earth shattering, but it's only been like the first week there, obviously. So, you know, and I do know there's, there's some other guys that were pretty unheralded that had put up good numbers in the DSL last year. Godwin Bennett out of Nicaragua, I think it's already got a couple of homers. Um, Arnold Prado is an outfielder from, from the Dominican who, you know, I had to, we had heard good reports from, but then I had heard kind of struggled in extended spring. Um, and then Eric Hernandez is a guy that was, you know, signed as a $1 million Dominican teenager who just hasn't really hit yet, which is kind of like the opposite of that profile, of the profile that we were like kind of told about him. So, you know, I think so far, Godwin Bennett from Nicaragua, a guy I mentioned, 13 at-bats. Um, he's got five hits. He's hitting three eighty-five with a 579 OBP, so an OPS of, you know, 1.2. So, look, if if Godwin Bennett continues to do that um, after doing kind of what he did last year in the D, I mean, he hit 11 homers in the Dominican Summer League last year with an OPS over 1,000. So, like, if he continues to do that in Arizona, I think that's a guy that maybe we do see stateside in Kannapolis um, later this year. So, you know, that's the uh, that's pretty much the positional side in Arizona. You mentioned some of the pitchers, Yosimar Kazin. Um, we talked about 25-year-old right-hander recently signed out of Cuba. I don't know how long he will be in Arizona. It shouldn't be long because, honestly, like with his profile, he really should be pitching in double-A um, at some point. And then, look, like there's some guys that are – that had good numbers last year in the DSL, the pitchers, it's like a group of like 18 players or whatever. And it's hard to differentiate between starters and relievers in Arizona. Cause a lot of guys just throw like two or three innings. One guy that's interesting, Mark McLaughlin seventh round pick out of Tennessee last year for 200 K. He was a reliever at Tennessee. The white Sox have transitioned him um, to the rotation. So that could be just like another potential back end starter that they've added to you know, a 2022 draft class that, you know, in the first year has looked pretty good so far, I think. So, you know, that will keep our eye on the ACL. And like you said, like they, they should be getting reinforcements in July once the uh, once the draft concludes and a bunch of those guys go there. You know, we had an opportunity to talk to Ben Badler about the Dominican Summer League and just kind of previewing some of the names on that roster. Um Age discrepancies, not as dramatic as the one we saw last year with Lloyd Delchapay. Um, some of these names that I'm looking at the roster on the Dominican Summer League, pretty age-appropriate, as well as uh, a guy named Juan Ribe Jr., so that's pretty cool. But James also wrote, like I said, uh, a preview of the Dominican Summer League, and you know we're excited about Luis Reyes, a right-handed pitcher, 6'2", um, getting an opportunity to start in the Dominican Summer League this year. That's a name that, you know, I'm familiar with other than that, Abraham Nunez Jr. is one that Ben told us to be paying attention to. So whenever Ben has his scouts antenna up, 
uh, we kind of follow his lead as well. James, who are in, uh, who are the names that are intriguing to you, and what's the significance of the DSL starting there? You know, because you know a lot of times, and to no fault of their own, fans aren't necessarily paying attention to the Dominican Summer League. Yeah, I mean, look, at least everybody's age appropriate, right? I think that's like the most important thing. I mean, you get like a Loydell Chapei there and he like destroys the league and it's really tough. We, like, I think we've talked often on the show, like how tough it was to rank that guy just because like we didn't really know what it meant, right? At least like some of these guys are up against their own peers. And Ben even told us like a lot of guys are going to the Dominican Summer League now for your like bonus reasons, just because of like, when the calendar is in January for them to get their full bonus, like those things, like that's one of the things that it kind of hurt these guys going from July to January. But, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the top guys. Um, So I will say like Luis Reyes is exciting, but he's been roughed up so far. He's made two starts and hasn't even like gotten out of an inning so far because of walks. But I will say he's had strikeouts and too many walks and then given up homers basically. So um, he's grown six three one ninety now. His fastball consistently hits ninety six. You know he is one of like the more intriguing young pitchers in the system. But I will say like statistically, he's gotten roughed up his first couple times in the DSL. And then one guy that Ben told us a lot about is Fabian Isala, was signed out of Venezuela. That was who Ben Badler kind of told us he was what worked out for clubs as a shortstop. Ultimately, never signed, and then the White Sox signed him, and now he's up to ninety five. So he's actually come on twice, I believe, in relief so far in the DSL during Reyes' starts, and he hasn't, like, given up anything so far, which, so, look, like, maybe he ends up being, like, the most interesting. And then Abraham Nunez Jr., I've gotten some feedback about just that, I think the White Sox signed him kind of young, you know, something that we've, we've typically... We've talked a lot about how the White Sox don't typically do that, right? But he's a 17-year-old who might be a little bit better than a lot of people anticipated. I mean, he has like a 1.5 OPS right now. Um, and look, it's only through like four games, I think. But he's playing center field, hits left-handed. Um, he, he's looked really good so far, um, playing center with good, good bat speed. So I think Nunez is definitely 700K, their best player in the Dominican Summer League right now. Um, and then they signed a lot of bats that, like Ben Badler told us about, they were interesting. Javier Magoyan, Ike Ugeta are both um, from Venezuela. And then D'Angelo Tejada, you know, signed as well, like I think for like 350000 out of the Dominican. He's he's hit so far too, I think, with a um, OPS over eight hundred. So, um, yeah, it's, it's I think it's kind of an interesting team. I think the DSL team is more interesting than the ACL team. And then obviously like this year's DSL team will be next year's ACL team to like Mm -hmm. start next year. So that's kind of like the way that it's been going, but yeah, there's some guys to follow. Abraham Nunez jr. Is probably the most prominent one that I would keep an eye on outside of like Luis Reyes. I think we could potentially rank here at some point, but you know, he's going to have to get out of the first inning in the DSL, even though stats aren't the number one thing that we're looking at. Yeah, tools, uh, raw potential, you know, looking at ceiling and getting them out against competition. It's important. And, of course, read James' piece, you know, if you want more information on that. We have more to talk about 
on this episode of the podcast. We do want to get James' opinion on Noah Schultz. He's made a couple of starts already, and he's looking pretty good. And we discussed it briefly with the top 30 list, but I want James to give his thoughts about Noah Schultz and uh, react to a couple of names that are linked to the White Sox again in the upcoming 2023 MLB draft. So don't go anywhere. You have the Future Sox podcast. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, then you most likely had ads, right? You just listened to some ads. That's an example of one of the benefits that you get as a patron of Sox Machine and Future Sox. Also exclusive content for you that only you get. So it's a little reward for you for giving us the opportunity to do this at a, at a higher capacity. So we really appreciate the motivation that you provide us uh, as patrons. So think about that. If not, just hit the like and subscribe button. It really does help us in the algorithm and all that stuff. All right, James, let's talk about Noah Schultz. This could be somebody who propels himself to the number one overall prospect in the system. I'm going to say it flat out, okay? Colson Montgomery is going to be hard to overtake. Yeah, I understand that. Total package at shortstop at this point, just in terms of our early evaluations. But Noah Schultz is really putting it together. After the brief scare that we had in the extended spring, he's made two outings, and it just seems like everything is fluid in his delivery. And when we listen to what Schultz told Jeff Cohen, which you could also hear in the Future Sox Roundup podcast after you're done listening to this, he works a two-seam now. He said that was something that he was toying with and that he went out and just threw a bunch of two-seams and it works. What does that say to you, James, about the way he was able to pick up that pitch? And, you know, as a lefty, his frame and obviously his upside, what does that mean for his repertoire? And just your overall thoughts on Noah Schultz's start of the career for the young man. Yeah, so it's been, I mean, like I had gotten electric reports like out of Arizona, obviously, like we're not out there watching him. And I guess it's just like maybe something that I took for granted when they took him, right? Because he wasn't necessarily described as like this fire-breathing dragon, like high school type guy, right? Like it was more like he had more pitchability than a 6'9 guy like normally would have, right? So I guess I was just like not expecting... 95 to 97 consistently like with the slider that he also has and like he's not even throwing the four seamer really like i don't know like maybe i shouldn't have been surprised but like the stuff is just like better than i thought it was so at this point i think it's just innings like i don't think he'll have any trouble in low a so it's just a matter of like when does he start pitching more often and like more consistently right like is the next start three innings and then you know eventually he's throwing five innings or whatever I mean, if he starts throwing 
you know, every week. I mean, I think he, he's on the top 100 list, like, soon. Because there's just not that many guys like this. Like, he looks awesome, obviously. You know, at any point, he could be hurt because he's a pitcher or whatever, you know. Like, I, I that's, like, not lost on either one of us, I don't think. But, I mean, yeah, like, as of right now, this is the easy number two prospect in the system. And as long as he pitches, like, I think you're just going to hear more and more because they just, like, don't make that many lefties like this and it's not 92 to 94 with a nasty breaker it's 95 to 97 which i guess for whatever reason i just wasn't really expecting so yeah i've been i've been pretty impressed so far no it's uh you you think about all that could go wrong just in terms of command and location right you know with his length and his size there's so much that could go wrong that could affect right delivery and so far when you watch him pitch, he's straight downhill and incredibly balanced. It's like a rubber band whipping action as he finishes. And again, with his size, you know, it cuts down to so plate. I talk about this all the time. The fastball gets up on you. And if it has ride with the two seam, it's exciting, you know? So as a 19-year-old, we're just continuing to monitor him. And the White Sox are playing it close to the chest. They're not saying a lot regarding Noah Schultz and the expectations that they have for the left-hander. I think they just want him, like you said, to go out without any expectations, get some innings under his belt, healthy, get up and down and pitch, stay healthy because the sky's the limit. We talked a little bit about extended spring training last week, right? And how a lot of scouts and executives like kind of feel like it's useless right now. But like, I feel bad for some of those poor kids. Like my good, like he was out there (laughs) this whole time pitching. Like, could you imagine like being one of those guys Like you're trying to get your like career on track or even like coming back from like an injury or whatever and like do you have to like face that guy like if you're left-handed like how do you even stand in the box against this guy well everybody like does the randy johnson thing right and like look it's it's completely unfair but what else like randy johnson was bad for a long time like and i feel like you know like a lot of people don't know that like he like he threw really really hard but he walked like a ton of people even like when he first entered the big leagues he he wasn't the big unit like Mm -hmm for a while and like Noah Schultz like not that he's going to be as good as Randy Johnson but like he doesn't pitch like that we've said this over like he pitches like like a much shorter person like it's not like all these command my issues with him are not going to be command it's going to be like can they keep him healthy enough to build up the innings load that's going to be necessary for him to like be a top of the rotation starter right like if he stays healthy like I, I don't like. I think he's gonna be pretty good, and like keep starting. So, and with the twenty eighth pick in the first round, it's slot value. Um, you know, we've talked about like how they insulated the the draft after him. Looks pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Like that's a gamble you take every time with the twenty eighth pick in the first round. So far, it's paying uh, paying well. I think for the White Sox, early returns not bad. And you know, to, just to that point, you can get away with missing your spot with the type of arm action and fastball that Noah Schultz has, it's just got to be in the strike zone, you know, stay in the strike zone and he's going to make a lot of money. And so far we're seeing that. I mean, his debut was awesome. So, um, you know, he's got another outing under his belt too. So reason to celebrate. That's a guy that we're going to rank, you know, we're going to argue about it probably in the mid season. It's going to be hard to justify taking Cole Montgomery off the top of the list. He's a top 100 prospect. I'm curious to see where Brian Ramos lands in top 100 lists and where Noah Schultz kind of inserts himself as he gets more outings under his belt. 
Really interesting stuff. White Sox have some intriguing top three prospects in their system. Um, as, as we move forward, we're looking to add more top prospects to the system. And I wanted James to highlight some of the profiles that we're doing at Future Sox for the upcoming draft because, you know, we do this every year. James leads the charge. He's got a bunch of names that he wants to detail and say, hey, we're covered if this player is selected. The White Sox are picking this year. It's at 15. There's one guy that I want you to describe a little bit more in depth to me, James, and that's Colin Houck. Uh, our guy, Sleepy Harold, Steve Hasman, was able to put together a profile on SoxMachine.com and Future Socks. It's a high school player, played quarterback. It's a two-sport athlete. What's your thoughts on this player? Does it make sense for the White Sox? And would you be excited if they decided to go prep infield again? Uh, I would. I think, I guess if I had my like top choice, this is this is the guy that – I'd be pretty happy with just because like he's another guy like somewhat similar to Colson Montgomery, right? Who wasn't like all the way in on baseball as like a pretty high level um, quarterback recruit. So like he could really hit like combination of strength and bat speed. You know, he should have plus raw power. You know, he is right-handed if that's like an issue. Like if you'd prefer a lefty, like that's fine. Like he, you know, he likely does end up moving to third, I would think. But I think I think that's fine. I think he's started to look much more consistent at the plate this summer um, after he's just kind of played more baseball. It just kind of reminds me a little bit of of the Montgomery thing. And look, he's got he's got some teams above the White Sox. I mean, he's heavily rumored like with the Diamondbacks who pick at twelve. So honestly, like I'm not even sure like he gets to the White Sox. But this is you know the kind of guy that I would be interested in. Like, I hope they go prep. Like we're, we're going to talk about a lot of college guys too, just because of like the depth of this college class. Right. But like one of the reasons I like high school guys, and I'm going to go back to Noah Schultz a little bit here. You know, when you were executive producing for the, the Bernstein home show and you know, you guys talked to um, what Corbin, right. From, from Vanderbilt. Like if look at a guy like Noah Schultz, right. A guy like Noah Schultz signs for, 2.8 million, the 28th pick in the draft to go to the White Sox, right? And he's going to be in their system. If that guy goes to Vandy and looks like this, right? Three years from now or two years from now, whatever, he's one of the best pitchers in the country. Like, where do you think Noah Schultz gets drafted then? You know, like top 10? It's a Garrett Crochet type that where he's getting five, six, seven million dollars, like that mm -hmm. high, right? So then, you know, like if you can get that same type of guy three years earlier and pay him less, that's just, that's kind of why I prefer prep players usually. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Very well taken. I mean, it's important perspective because when you think about the draft this year that we were discussing, this kind of took me right to Paul Skeens and where they're at right now. Um, that like the teams who are interested in drafting him, it's, you know, and this is kind of a separate discussion than what we're talking about with this prep shortstop. But when it comes to pitchers, across the top five, even when you have a guy that's such an elite talent, this is by far the best pitcher in the country, and Paul Skeens, do you take him over a position player? Like, what's your opinion on that, James? Like When you think about a guy who's there most of the time, 150 games a year most likely, you know, or are you taking a guy who may fail with injury or you know, there's more risk, I would say? He's going out there for 30 games a year versus 150. Yeah, like, so I wrestle with it, like, especially in this class, right? Because I think, like, we're going to talk in future weeks some more about Dylan Cruz. And then, but, like, Wyatt Lankford at Florida would be a 1-1 one -one 
like type outfielder most years. And then you have two high school guys, Max Clark and Walker Jenkins. So like, look, I would completely understand if teams would prefer the certainty of the bat, right? Mm -hmm. Over a pitcher in general that high, totally understood. Right. But like Paul Skeens is going to be an ace man. And like, you just, there's just not that many of those guys on the planet. So it's like, that's the type of guy that you make the exception for, right? Because I think like, look, if you gamble on a high school pitcher in the top five, because you think he's going to be great. And the Tigers did this a couple of years ago, I think with Jackson Job, but, but that guy, like he gets hurt or he misses like, like understandably and just justifiably. So like your job is on the line as a scouting director or a GM, right? If for some ungodly reason, Paul Skeens misses, like, I just like don't think that's your fault. So these guys are so tough to find that yeah, like I mean, if Paul Skeens goes number two to the Nationals, like nobody should be surprised. Everybody's gonna say, "Oh yeah, great!" Like mm-hmm. he's an ace that's in the majors in a year and a half. It makes total sense. But you know, yeah, I mean, it, there there are some front offices that just like won't do it over an equally ranked position player. That's why I find this draft class really fascinating because you have two college bats at the top that are both one, one caliber in most years, but you also have like a true like ace. I mean, this guy is like the best college pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg. And it's like legit and it's legit. And it doesn't mean it's going to work, right? He could blow out right away and never be the same guy. But it's just, if you don't draft and develop those guys yourself, you're paying over $200 million to acquire them. So that that's what I, where I think the argument comes down to. As we wrap up this episode, there was something that Carlos Colazzo said to us last week on our podcast, and you mentioned that there's not a lot of impact bats in the system right now. Is there going to be an impact bat available potentially at 15, James, that would say, yes, infuse this power into the organization because they need it? Yeah, I'd be surprised if there's not, honestly, because I mean, like I know that like Mike Shirley has talked a lot about pitching in recent years, right? But this year, just to like roughly like Paul Skeens, LSU, we've just talked about Chase Dolander of Tennessee as a right-handed starter who came into the year as like the top guy um, who struggled a little bit, but like he's going to be probably off the board and then Rhett Lauder of Wake Forest, right? So those are three arms. And then there's like one high school righty, like maybe that could go, but dude, there's so many bats that like, if those four arms go off the board, which they should, like there's going to be a bat there for you. I mean, the the college class is deep with a shortstop, Jacob Wilson of Grand Canyon, um, you know, as well as Jacob Gonzalez of Mississippi. I think the college shortstops will go early. So look, that should leave you some guys. I mean, we we've kind of talked about Colin Houck, but there's other high school guys that the White Sox have kind of been linked to. Arjun Namala is ranked ninth overall at MLB Pipeline. He's a shortstop from Strawberry Crest, Florida. There's Aiden Miller. He's your typical like 18-year-old third baseman with huge power. He's out of Florida as well. He's like a top 15 draft prospect. And then a guy that Kylie McDaniel linked them to, high school catcher, which... Look, we've talked about that profile, super dangerous. It's like at the lowest hit rate of anyone, but his bat's good enough to move elsewhere. You know, and I think, I don't know if you brought it up off air, you know, just a couple of years ago when they took Garrett Crochet, like they were very interested in Soderstrom who ultimately went to the A's. So, you know, maybe that's like a similar profile for, for Mike Shirley. But I mean, yeah. And then there's the guys that I'm not, terribly excited about like Enrique Bradfield or Yohandi Morales 
and like Matt Shaw, Tommy Troy are both infielders from Maryland and Stanford. So yeah, like there, I think at 15, I'd be really surprised if it's not a bat unless, you know, like Wake Forest wet louder falls down the board or something like the White Sox might feel obligated to take a guy that you think is going to be like a number two starter, but I'd be really surprised if it's not a bat. And I think it'll be one that's impactful enough to be like one of their, you know, top three or four prospects like initially. That's James Fox. You can follow him on Twitter at JamesFox917. I'm at Rankin906. This has been another edition of the Future Sox Podcast. We've been doing it a while. I, I lost count the amount of episodes we've released together. So we really appreciate your support. Become a patron. Thank you. I, I don't know how many times I could ask and say thank you because uh, it really does help us out. Next episode of the podcast, we'll get more in-depth with a guy who knows what he's talking about and Brian Sikowski, scout who will inform us on all of the players that could go to the White Sox at 15, as well as just kind of getting an update on his perspective of the way the White Sox are doing things and how they develop their players. Because, uh, boy, still the bottom of the league in farm system organizational rankings. But I'll say this, add this draft class. We're seeing the development of the 2022 class. Advanced A is looking pretty strong. You know, we got a little bit longer to go in this season. We're seeing some development within the White Sox organization. And it's important because, hey, this team is trying to win the division. They are in. They're back. And I hope you can join us to watch the division-winning White Sox on August 26th. Uh, Dylan sees bobblehead night, too. We'll call it Future Sox Night at the ballpark. More information, go to futuresox.com and at Future Sox on Twitter. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rick, and Thanks so much for listening to this episode. We'll talk to you all next week.